0: lesson this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to invite you uh, to open up your Bibles to that right now. Uh, and as you do, just let me uh, kind of recap where we've been. Throughout the last month, we have been talking uh, about our mission as a church, our mission to live all for one, knowing that there is one who is for all of us. And we've talked about how that mission plays out across all the areas Of what this church does. It affects the way we see Sundays. And we see Sunday as an opportunity, every Sunday, as an opportunity not only to receive rest from God, but to give rest to those who need to hear it. We talked about how all of us, all Christians, are disciples for wisdom. And and that provides the answers to so many questions we have in life ourselves and for those who are searching for them. Last week, we looked at how the gospel, the one for all God that we have, changes the way that we see church. It isn't a building, just a building made out of bricks and mortar, but the church is first and foremost a relationship, a relationship with Christ, but a relationship with all of us. This week is a culmination of almost all of that, and it centers on this idea that all of us, every one of us, are missionaries, missionaries for one who is not here yet. Our lesson from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the Apostle Paul talking to a group of believers and he's giving them the why, the why they are ambassadors for Christ, the why they are to live all for one because there's one for all. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading at verse 11. Paul writes, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, well, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though, This is the word of our God. Would you please join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you have to-do lists? Maybe honey-do lists, to-do lists around your house, to-do-do lists around your job, see some smiles. I'm not the only one who has a to-do list, okay. Now, how many of you have to-do lists um, that maybe have a to-do that has been on the list a little longer than you would have liked it to be on the list? All right, some smiles, some nods. All right, How many of you, or for how many of you, is that thing on your to-do list um, a bit intimidating? You look at that to-do, and it's not because it's a difficult thing. It's not because it's a hard task or a scary task, but it's a bit intimidating just because it's been on that list for so long. And now this thing that's relatively small has grown to be this big thing amongst so many other to-dos that's just kind of overwhelming. Please tell me I'm not the only one. You have some to-dos like that? All right. This image is the single source of consternation and procrastination in my entire life. What is it? Well, let me tell you this story. When our son Julian was beginning to crawl and learning to walk, he liked to go around to things like most infants, toddlers do, and pull himself up. One day he got into our bathroom and he grabbed a hold of the... um, toilet paper dispenser, the toilet paper holder, and he pulled himself up. And then from just a few feet away, I watched him as he gripped it with all of his baby strength and started to rock back and forth, forward and backwards. And before I could get there, he gripped it and tore the thing right off the wall. I wasn't sure if I should be mad if I should be impressed for what he did. But I was frustrated and out came my to-do list and on my phone I added, Matt, paint the bathroom wall and fix the toilet paper dispenser. Now that was a couple months ago. Uh, And some of you are nodding because you've been in my bathroom and you've seen this there. And at first it started out that I didn't fix this and I just went and got our freestanding toilet paper dispenser. Don't worry, we didn't go without. And... I thought to myself, you know, I'm just too busy to fix this right now. That excuse worked for a little while. And then it was clear that I was just too lazy to fix this right now. And then something kind of crazy happened. Excuses came really easy to come by. One day I decided I'm going to fix this, but then I noticed, oh, we're all all out of spackle. So guess that's got to wait till another day until I fix this. Then that got fixed, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go fix it today. I'm going to start by painting it. And then I noticed that all of our rollers and the roll brushes were gone, and so I got to go pick some more of those up, but not today. I'm going to put it off for another day. And over the course of time, what happened was this relatively small eyesore in my house actually became a rather large source of guilt in my life. Every time I walked into my bathroom, I saw it and I was reminded that I haven't done that yet and I felt bad. Every time I looked at my to-do list, I saw that there was just one more thing on there that I didn't do or couldn't do or didn't have enough time to do and I felt guilty and I felt kind of ashamed. And over the course of time, what has happened is this small thing has snowballed into a rather big deal in my life. This last week, as I thought about this sermon message, I realized just how much guilt this little paint spot in my bathroom brings to my life. And you know what? In that way, this little toilet paper dispenser problem, this little to-do list issue, it's kind of like the law of God. There's two main teachings in the Bible. One of them is the gospel. The other is the law. The gospel is this. The gospel is God's good news that I did it all for you. It's Jesus' message that I came to this earth for you. And everything that was on God's checklist of salvation to save the whole world from the sins, to free them from death, to destroy Satan's power, Jesus Christ came to this world and on the cross put a big X on all those to do. The gospel is God's good news message. That's what the gospel means, good news, that he did it all for you. All the to-dos have been crossed off. All the things you think you need to do to please God, Jesus did. All of the guilt and the shame and the sorrow that you feel for doing things that God don't, didn't like and doesn't like, Jesus removed those. That's the gospel. What's the law? Well, the law is God's to-do list, for you and me. It tells us what to do and what not to do to live a God-pleasing life. And hear this, the law is not a bad thing. The law is actually a good thing. I mean, the law kind of works like a mirror. It shows you if there's something stuck right here in your teeth. In the same way, you wouldn't want to walk out in life without knowing there's something in your teeth and you could remove it. The law shows you when there's a sin stuck in your life and is there and is ugly and displeasing to God so that you can remove it. The law kind of works like bumper rails in a bowling alley so that you can throw the ball, your ball, down this lane of life and it won't go in the gutter. The law is there to redirect you so that you are always headed down the right path pleasing God, living a life that gives glory to him. The law is a good thing. It's kind of like a compass that shows you where you should go in life. If you get lost in the woods, the forest of this life, it shows you the, the way to go. It shows you and points you to Christ. The law is a very good thing. The law doesn't contribute to your salvation. The law doesn't get you closer to God. but the law does do is tell you some to do's, some things you can do to live a good life, a God-pleasing life that gives glory to him. But the law can be misused. Actually, the law can be misused and abused. Do you know the number one way that the law is misused? It's when the law is used without the gospel. It's when the law is used and there is no good news that Jesus did it all for you next to the law. And you want to know what's sad is that Christians, Christian parents, Christian pastors, and churches often misuse the law the most. They misuse the law when they use the law to show you all of the things you are not and have not and could not be or do and puts a light on everything you haven't done and never shines a light on the cross of Christ and shows you that he did it all for you. And that way, just like some spots on the wall, just like an undone to-do on your to-do list, the law can be this ever-present reminder of guilt in your life. Things that you need to do, but can't do. Things you must do, but you have not done. And in that way, the law, without the gospel, can become a pretty big burden, a pretty big source of grief and guilt and shame. In your life, have any of you ever experienced the law in that way? Well, what I'd like to do this morning is is show you a a graphic, an, an image, a cycle of what happens when sin is used in the life of a Christian without the gospel. It's a cycle of sin and really a cycle of guilt that we've all experienced at one time or another. But before I show you this, can I give you a few warnings? I need to warn you because we're going to look at one law, one command in particular, and one vicious cycle that this law creates when it's, when it's given without the gospel. And I need to warn you because this law, this command that I'm about to show you, it's one of the church's favorites. Pastors, church leaders talk about this law a lot. And sometimes it's talked about without the gospel. And I need to warn you that I'm telling you all of these things because as we look at this law and the cycle of guilt that this law often brings without the gospel, it might get real in here. It might get real uncomfortable in here. And I need you to promise me you're not going to get up and walk away because we're eventually going to break the cycle. We're going to break the cycle by by placing the gospel where it needs to be placed in the life of a Christian. But before we do that, I want you to show you what the cycle looks like without the gospel. You with me? All right. Here's the command. Here's the law. You ready? Command law is this. Go. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Our lesson for today, put it this way, be Christ ambassadors. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What is this? It is the great commission and it is nothing other than a great command, a great law from God. It is the command. It is the law that says, go, you go. Right now, don't wait for pastor. Don't wait for your church. Go right now to the people in your life, to the people who you know, the people you live with, and invest in their life. Invest in their life so as to share with them the message of the gospel, show as to proclaim to them the love, the undeserved and unchanging love of God. Go right now and show them you. Don't wait for a training program. Don't wait for a theological education. Just go. Pray with them. Regardless of their religious background, regardless of their political party, regardless of their sexual orientation, go be with them and show them what someone who has the heart of Jesus Christ looks like. Demonstrate through your words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. This is the command. It is to go and share the gospel. And oftentimes we hear this at church, right? We hear this command a lot. And maybe especially at this church, a mission church. And we hear that and it's a good thing, right? It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about our role in sharing some good news. And we say, I'm a can-do Christian. I'm going to go do that. Let me ask you, how are you doing at carrying out that law, that command in your life? How well are you being an ambassador, a spokesperson who uses their mouth, who uses their lives to be the mouthpiece of God? This is the part where it might get kind of real. Because you see, as we've gone through this sermon series, we've talked about how Every Sunday is an opportunity for rest. And that is a value that I think most people have no difficulty getting behind. I mean, sure, it might be hard to get up on some Sunday mornings, but who doesn't like coming and receiving spiritual rest? Who doesn't like having a spiritual vacation? Our value that every Christian is the disciple. Also, not a difficult one. I mean, who doesn't like being wise? Who doesn't like growing in wisdom? And sure, it might be a bit of a difficult task to make it a habit to connect myself to Christ on a daily, regular occasion, but it's not that hard. Then last week, we looked at this. We looked at the idea that church is not just about bricks and buildings and boards and mortar. It's about relationships. That's a challenging idea. That's a hard idea because that might not be the church that you grew up in. That might take something that all of us have, but not in abundance. And that's time given to people. But again, it it might be tough, but not impossible because, well, the people in my group, in my community, I like them. They go to my church. But this one, everyone, a missionary for one, that's not just tough. That's almost impossible. I mean, you may want to be a person who goes and shares your faith in your neighborhood and in your office, but then something or some things come up. You might hear about your friends, your friends who are all-star Christians, who can go to Starbucks and pray with the person they're sitting next to, or go out to eat at a restaurant and strike up a spiritual conversation with the person serving their food. And you think to yourself, that's just not me. I don't even think about those things. I just think about my latte. You might be someone who goes to your son or daughter's soccer event or musical performance and you sit next to another parent who you know, who you know is living a life without hope or the freedom of the gospel and you think I want to share it with them, but at the same time I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be the person who, you know, always is being obnoxious about their faith. And so you just stay to the safe things, the weather, your kids, and you never talk about Jesus. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood, someone who might live just feet from your doorstep, who you want to share Christ with, but you think, I just don't know enough. I'm going to mess it up. I don't want to be that person, that guy, that girl who's always sharing my faith and inviting people to church and it's never appropriate. And so you don't. And then can-do Christians turn into, let's call it what it is, command-breaker Christians. And then we hear the law, right? We hear the law which serves as a mirror in our life and we see that Christ actually gives commands and says whoever is ashamed of men, I'll be ashamed of them before my father. We hear his command and we feel his law whenever he says, people, Christians who are lukewarm, who are unenthusiastic and unresponsive about the gospel, I'm going to chew them up and spit them out on the last day. And that law, seen through the lens of other laws, go, proclaim the gospel, leaves can-do Christians who figure out their command-breaker Christians to feel a whole lot like, Convicted Christians, people who feel an awful lot of guilt and shame for not doing the things that God's law tells them to do. But we hear the gospel, right? And then we hear the command to go give the gospel. And so the cycle starts all over again. We, we come to church and we go, okay, I can do this. I can be a Christian who shares my faith. But then it's the same song. It's the second verse. You don't. It's the same law that presses down on you and you feel guilty, you feel bad for not being a missionary, for not being an ambassador of Christ, for neglecting, rejecting that calling that God has given you and you feel guilty once again. And the cycle continues on and on. And as if sharing the gospel isn't hard enough, you come to church and it's often the pastor. It's often the place that's supposed to be rest telling you, go, share the gospel. And you say, that's great preacher man, but all this preaching at me actually doesn't help me share the gospel. And this isn't what your pastor looks like. So let me just change it. There. But I put this up there for a reason. Because let me confess that I'm guilty of misusing the law that I and myself on behalf of this church, I think have from time to time been guilty of abusing the law and using it in such a way that it's kind of like this, it's kind of like a club where it swung around back and forth, poked and prodded at people, maybe even beat over the head of people to go, 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 live all for one. And this doesn't change the hearts of anybody. This doesn't inspire anybody to actually go and do it because you're caught up in this cycle of sin, not obeying the law God gave and guilt that the law produces. And eventually you just feel like there's no way out. And so I'm Sorry very seriously and very humbly, I apologize for misusing the law. I think it's no wonder that oftentimes Christians, churches, pastors get caught up in this cycle and and all of a sudden can-do Christians become careless Christians and they just walk away. Not from their church, not from their God, not from their pastor, but they walk away from this command. This good command to go and share Christ and not because they hate people or they hate God or they hate the church. They just can't see any other way out of this cycle in sin and guilt. So at least if I don't do it, I don't have to feel the burden and the weight of not doing or not trying to do something I just can't do. You ever experienced that? The law as a club Maybe it's about another, another command of God's, but I think oftentimes the church, this pastor, uses the law to go and share the gospel without the gospel. Oh sure, gospel's in the command, go and share it. But the gospel's missing from this cycle in a very important way. This past week, as I, as I thought about this last value that we're talking about, being missionaries for Christ, being his ambassadors, I thought to myself, how can I share it? How can I share that command? How can I share this value in a way that doesn't already give more guilt? Because I'm gonna be honest with you, I feel guilty. I feel ashamed that I don't do it more, that I don't do it better. And I love you. I've gotten to know you as your pastor, as your partner in God's mission field, and I see it. I see it when I look at your eyes and, and encourage you to live all for one, that sometimes there's this distant look of discouragement. And so how, how can we talk about being missionaries? How can we talk about being Christ's ambassadors in a way that doesn't induce any more guilt than there already is? Well, I'm thankful that God's word answers that question. I'm very, very glad that God's word shows us the answer to that question. I'm wondering if you will kind of hit reset with me, hit a restart as we look at our mission to go and live all for one and just back up back up and look to God's gospel, to look at God's word and see the way that God's word talks about this mission, talks about this high and noble calling to be his ambassadors and maybe just look at the way scripture talks about it as the way and the model and the motive for how we talk about it. Would you read this section of our gospel lesson, excuse me, of our sermon lesson with me? It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and... I'm hoping you'll read these six verses with me. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is how God's word talks about our calling to be his ambassadors. You could talk about it like this. You could talk about it where you just look at the law. No longer live for yourself. Don't do that. Don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You could talk about it with the red letter of the law. God has committed us the message of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. Be that. But if you only did that, it would leave you feeling guilty for all the times you do live for yourself, all the times you forsake your job as his ambassador. And so that's not how scripture talks about it. But every time scripture talks about it, it begins and it ends with the gospel. In fact, it doesn't separate the law from the gospel. It doesn't separate your salvation from your proclamation because God's word never does that. The law and the gospel are God's word and together they're one and together they speak the reason and the power and the motive for what we do in our life. God's word talks about our job as his ambassadors beginning with the gospel. He says this, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all and was raised again. There is one who lived for you. There is a God who lived and died for you. And he did it all for you. And he rose again from the dead so that you would never again have to feel the weight of guilt, the weight of sin, the weight of condemnation in your life. And what's more, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In your baptism, all sin, all guilt, All shame has been washed away. The old you is dead and gone and the new you is here. The new year, the new you has been brought forth to live a new life, a life that is done away with anything in the past, that is done away with anything that desires and needs and wants to have to check lists off of a to-do list to achieve salvation. God did it for you. And this, All this is from God. The conviction that one died for all. The new you in Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And verse 21 adds this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we have the righteousness of God. Listen, if you hear just one thing today, hear this. It is not if you believe, God will count your sins not against you. It's not when you believe, God will no longer count your sins against you. It's this, in Christ, God is right now not counting your sins against you. Through Christ and in Christ, He has reconciled you to Himself and no longer counts a single one of your sins. Believe this. That's the gospel. That's the message, the message of good news that Christ ties inseparably to the proclamation of the gospel. God never separates the law from the gospel, but He always puts them together. And that's our big idea for today. That your salvation in Christ is inseparably tied to your proclamation of Christ in life. That's how God's word talks about our call to be missionaries. That's how God moves us, compels us to live all for one because there is one for all. When you start your your life as a Christian out with the desire to be a can-do Christian, I got this. It's no wonder we end up focused on ourselves and our failures. But when you start with the gospel, the message of Christ's love, and use that to compel you to live for him who died for all, to be his ambassador, it's a game changer. It changes the way that you live and go. No longer are you going just as your own to fulfill this to-do list, to fulfill this command and this law of God, but you live in the freedom of getting to be the mouthpiece, the ambassador for the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the law is not seen as this bad Bludgeoning, club using thing, but the law is what it's supposed to be. It is the compass for your life that points you repeatedly again and again back to the glory and the cross of Jesus Christ and rests our lives there in the shadow of his cross so that we can go and live anew. The old you is dead and gone, the new you is here. From now on, we don't see people the way the world sees people, but we see them through the lens of the cross. We see them. Through the gospel. That's how scripture talks about this joy, this command to go out in the harvest field with Christ and join Jesus on his mission. Can I tell you about one Christian who really tied that message of proclamation and the message of salvation together inseparably in his life? It's one of, well, your neighbors actually. Mr. Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers was a, was a Christian. And this past week, my wife and I watched a documentary about his life, about his work called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I'd recommend all of you watching it. It was very good, but it it was really interesting for me as a Christian to watch because it was so cool to see how he took that Gospel, that message of love, and, and he took it and made it a ministry in his life, and he was an ordained minister, but he never stepped into a pulpit. instead, his ministry was inseparably tied to his life because the love of God was inseparably tied to the proclamation of God in his life. One of the most moving pieces of the documentary came at the end, and it it didn 't come in the form of a clip from the from the loving TV show that many of us grew up watching, but it actually came from a commencement speech that Mr. Rogers gave at Dartmouth College in 2002. In that address, he said this. He said, I'd like to give you all an invisible gift, a gift of a silent minute to think about those who have helped you become who you are today. Some of them may be here right now. Some of them may be far away. Some, like my astronomy professor, may even be in heaven. But wherever they are, if they loved you and encouraged you and wanted what's best for you in life, I feel like you deserve quiet time on this special occasion to devote some thoughts to them. So let's just take a minute in honor of those who have cared about us all along the way, one silent minute. Think about that as a Christian, as someone who is here completely because of another, first and foremost, Christ. But also think about it this way. All of us are here because there is someone. There is someone or maybe a couple people in your life who lived all for you, knowing that there is one who lived and died for them. There is someone in your life who is compelled by Christ's love to live not for themselves, but for him and also you. And that person loved you and that person encouraged you and that person has cared not just about your life here on this earth, but they cared enough about you that they thought about your life in eternity. And so they share Jesus with you? I told you it's going to get real, because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take a minute, a full minute, a silent minute, and think about who that person is. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone sitting next to you, a friend. You have a blank space at the bottom of your sermon guide, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to write down their name and think about this. Who who is that person for you? And what does that person mean to you? And what would it be like if that person didn't live for you? Go ahead. Take a take a minute. That's one minute. Who was that person? For you? What does that person mean to you? Maybe some of you know where I'm going with this. Ultimately, who are you going to be that person for? Because it doesn't require a special knowledge set. It doesn't require a theological degree. It doesn't require the right personality. For you to go and live all for one, because you have all that one has given you, and you have all that everybody needs, you can be that one for someone by simply being a listening ear who's going to listen and try your best to answer questions that people have about life and death in a way that look isn't looking to manipulate. you can be for someone, a breath of fresh air and some good news in a world that's inundated with fake news and all sorts of unpleasant news. You can be an example of servant-heartedness. You can be an example of love and joy and peace and rest and belonging You can be an example of everything that the Christian faith is meant to be simply by living for that person, by caring for that one, knowing that there is one who has died for you. As we wrap up this sermon series, can I share with you just one more story? This past week, I read the story of a grandfather who had a toddler, infant-aged grandson who was having incredible earaches and difficulty hearing, and he received a treatment of getting uh, tubes placed into his ears, and the treatment did more than just clear up his hearing. As soon as the tubes went in, he actually began to speak much more clearly as well. Think about that. Clear hearing leads to clear speaking. My prayer for you, my prayer for you is that hearing clearly the message of the gospel. Hearing very clearly the reason why we live all for one because there is one who has lived and died for all of us. Hearing very clearly that there is one who was without sin but became sin for you so that you are righteous, you are holy, you are everything God wants you to be. Well, that hearing clearly leads to speaking clearly and living all for one, never forgetting that there is one who has lived and died for you. Amen.